You make software. We're here to help you do it better. I'm Mark Littlewood. You're listening to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Today, we've got two of my favourite Business of Software podcast guests, Bridget Harris and Peldy. Bridget's from You Can Book Me and Peldy's from Balsamic, and they're talking about tips and ideas and thoughts and strategies about remote working and making it successful. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined by uh, two very special people. Um, Bridget Harris, the CEO and co-founder of You Can Book Me, uh, and the one and only Peldy from Balsamic. Um, And we're going to be talking about remote working. So thank you very much indeed, everybody, for uh, joining us. Uh, I know we've got people uh, hi, Chris Mader um, from New Delhi. Um, that uh, is always always good to see people travelling. Um, and uh, Alex Marshall, great to hear from you again. Look forward to a fantastic discussion. Let's open it up by um, I'm going to introduce first of all. Uh, here we go. Ah, Bridget. Here I am. There you are. Hello, welcome. Hi, everybody. How are you, and uh, how's everything going? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're, it's going it's going well. January is always an exciting month because it, it, in, for our tool, everybody goes away and has a good two week holiday of a Christmas. Thanks. Well, starting starting off with Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then New Year, and so they, everybody disappears. So you get a bit paranoid, and then in January they all come back. So we always have a really busy busy January, and it's been good fun. Uh, fantastic, fantastic, and Peldy, hello. Hello. How are you, everybody? I'm here with Lucy. Oh, fantastic! Now I oh, there we are. Hello, what a lovely dog! Is that a new uh, a new employee? Are you building uh, are you building up uh, four legs at a time now? She's an expert in uh, shedding hair, which uh, I haven't been able to see how that's useful to balsamic quite yet. But maybe I'm... we can make some pillows. I think they I think they serve therapeutic um, purposes, don't they, dogs? Um, right, guys. Um, how shall we uh, kick off? I, I suppose one of the reasons we're having this hangout is is Bridget very kindly came to Business Software Europe last year, where she got one of these lovely mugs, um, and talked about her experiences growing. Uh, you can book me and going down a very different route to that normal. Um, be a big London company, raise funds, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that really came out of um, her talk, which was fascinating, was uh, some of the some of the kind of big benefits and advantages of remote working. Um, I'd love you both just to, to um, introduce your companies and just talk a little bit about what you do remotely and, and, and how you operate so, so people can just understand what kind of companies you are. Who's going to start? Um, no, Bridget. Okay. Um, so we've been going for, we're actually, the 2017 is actually a bit of a milestone. It's, it's, it'll be a decade um, since we launched our first, um, if you like, commercial web application, When Is Good, which made money, has made money, is still going. Wow. Um, so that was in 2007. And so the, the story of our company is really a very, it's, it, I think remote working can probably um, be said to be, um, has gone hand in hand with also bootstrapping and going very slowly at the very beginning. So um, the CTO, my husband, he uh, built various web applications over the years. And the first one that really took off was When Is Good and You Can Book Me was born out of it um, a couple of years later, all, all down to um, solving the problem of scheduling back and forth emails, trying to find a time for people to meet that kind of thing. So you can book me as booking software that people have a monthly subscription to um, and they use it to, to, to book availability into their calendar for people, customers. Um, and so because we built that up over a period of years, for a long time, it would have been laughable, the idea that we were going to have an office or employ people or have a company. I mean, it was much more a case of Keith writing the software, you know, on the bus, commuting to work for other people. Um, I had a completely other, uh, whole entirely different career before I started running this company. Um, and so as we saw things 
take off with You Can Book Me, we were still working out of coffee shops on laptops. Uh, or, or, or we were sort of the Wi-Fi, you know, the new Wi-Fi generation in London 10 years ago that was discovered that you could just go around and find places with Wi-Fi. And if you had a laptop, you could sit and do a good day's work wherever you fancied. So we do a lot of work at the uh, Royal Festival Hall in Southbank um, and um, various libraries and other places. So that kind of building up a company slowly and organically naturally fitted with working as a, you know, what we didn't see it as being remote. But what happened to us was as we started to hire people, our natural instincts about how we like to work just fell into place with, with the people that we wanted to hire. So the first we did hire people in Bedford where we're, where we're based where this we office is. Um, so we do we do have an office where people can come. Yeah, I've just waved my arm around. It's a, it's a serviced office. So they're very energy conscious. So if you stay still for any length of time, the light goes off. But yes, um, we, we, we hired a few people in Bedford and that worked well. And we got a wee office and we quite like coming here and we've got big monitors. Um, but the, the, the first developer we hired was Antonio. and He was in Spain. And it was kind of almost in his job interview. He just said, look, by the way, I'm not coming to I'm not coming to, to Bedford. I'm not coming to the UK. So I hope that's OK. And um, we it just it just carried on from there. And it became um, in the way that working remotely started off as the only thing we could do when we were building up our product. As we started to build up our business and we started to hire people, it's actually become a materially better way of ensuring that you're hiring the right people for your for your company because you're getting people with the motivations of wanting to work on your product to work with you as colleagues and to work within the right culture that that me and Keith have set as opposed to thinking that we need to hire people where the first question is to encourage them to come and live in the town that me and Keith have chosen to live in which to me would be very arbitrary and, and a bit weird whereas now we've opened up our ability to grow the company by employing people all over the world if, if um you know if it comes to that and that's and it and it fits very naturally in the way me and keith like working so i think that would be the you know the short version of the history of our company is yeah. that we we run a company which suits me and keith great okay well that uh, is a very good um segue into uh peldy and your your little lifestyle thing that uh, hi, yes, um, I'm Peldi and I run uh, Balsamic. We make a product for uh, wireframing. And um, we have been uh, remote from day one. Even before day one, um, Balsamic started as a side project. So I worked on it nights and weekends at home, of course. Uh, and so, um, and then I started a company in while well, I was still living in the US. So I started an American company and then I immediately moved to Italy. And so I was working remotely for my own company in the US. Um, so anyways, so we've been, uh, we've been remote uh, for, for uh, forever. And um, for us, uh, for me, it's important to be remote friendly from the beginning because um, I was living in Europe, but a lot of our customers are in the U.S. And so I wanted uh, someone to be in the U.S. to help with uh, customer support. And so the second hire was Valerie, who was in California, and she worked out of her home. Um, and then uh, now we've been growing uh, gradually, and now we are 25 people and uh, 12 uh, sort of... Uh, 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 frequent the Bologna office, but uh, often there's one person at the office uh, or two people at the office. It's very, very rare that we're all at the office at the same time. Um, and then we have two people in France, one in Germany, one in Holland, three in Chicago, and the rest are in the Bay Area. And uh, all these people work from home. Um, I've actually started working from home uh, pretty much 99% of the time uh, since I got the dog, uh, because she gets, I, I brought her to the office, but she gets really bored there and drives me crazy and I, I can't get anything done. Um, and See, so I thought, I have, you know, the opposite, I have the opposite challenge with my children, actually, they can't get enough of <laughs> Right. And so I started working from home um, and um, also to see what it's like for 
the 13 employees that we have that only work from home. Uh, yeah. I want to make sure that they don't feel like second class employees. Mm -hmm. And so um, I want to be uh, just like them um, to uh, see what the challenges are and, uh, you know, really understand them. Right. Okay. Fantastic. So, so one of the things um, that we'll certainly, I'm sure, come back to later on is the pure remote working versus a hybrid model. Is mm -hmm. that one coming for you, Pebble? No, that's more a that's more a um, a UK siren, isn't it? Um, that might be crime happening in Bedford. If you can hear a siren. Hey. It's <laughs> another reason for remote working, but <laughs> the way you want. Crime's happening. Um, so certainly would like to kind of come back and, and, and talk a little bit more about that hybrid model of some people remote and some people um, in, a, in an office. You said you had three people in Chicago. Do they work together at any time or do they all? They do today for some strange reason, but usually they work. Uh, Chicago is a big place. They're about an hour away from each other. So uh, they don't work together unless yeah. uh, there's some occasion. Okay, right. Um, so let's let's get on and um, start asking some of the questions. There's some great ones that have um, come in. Um, this one, I think, is a, is, a, is a good one to start off with. Um, Daily or weekly process? What daily or weekly processes do you use to make certain that staff are on task? And I suppose there's a slightly bigger question there about um, actually just keeping everybody together and, and understanding what's going on. So it's not just about individual tasks, is it? Well, can I? Yeah, can I start with that? Just because I would, I would actually question the premise of the question, if I'm allowed to. Which is the, the premise of that is that the only way you can make people do what you want them to do is by everybody sitting around in an office and there being a taskmaster sort of drumming, drumming the, the, you know, the drum at the, at the head of the ship to make everybody <laughs> work. And, and I think this is one of the most interesting aspects of remote working, which is it isn't just a, a logistical thing. It isn't just sort of a barrier that you have to get around. It's actually... It's, it's part and parcel of a totally different culture and way of working and certainly the assumptions that you would make about um, the people that you're hiring and, and what motivates them. And so I completely agree with Peldi that, that I think that, that um, when, you, when you're choosing to work this way, you don't want, you want to avoid the feeling that there's a hybrid where some people are in the office and they're the ones doing the real jobs in the real in the real office and then the, the other people are sort of peripheral and then we've just got to find a way of keeping them in touch actually even when me and Keith are in the office when we are um, when we're all when sometimes some of our remote UK workers because I didn't say how we're spread out so we have three people in Bedford two other people working in the UK um, one person in Germany two people in Spain and two people in um in the us and everybody works well some people work from home some people work from um co-working spaces and as i said occasionally we bring everybody together or they come to bedford but to sorry to answer your point directly we don't um when we're trying to motivate people or when we're trying to get people on on task or when we're trying to get people to do stuff or project or, or any kind of project management for us it's not relevant that they're not in the same office or in the same time zone as a different question that question is well what project management software do we use? We happen to be fans of the Atlassian suite of, of tools. So we use Jira, um, we use, um, you know, HipChat to keep things, keep topics open in terms of conversations and collaboration. People have video conferencing when they want to have a meeting with somebody. Um, you know, today, for example, um, we, we're just sort of launching a, a bit of a sprint, if you like, um, on a couple of topic, stuff that we've got to get done. So I recorded an eight minute presentation on the stuff that I wanted everybody to focus on, sent that round to everybody, everybody watches it. Then we have a Zoom meeting to, to, to discuss it. So we're trying to minimize how much sort of sitting around waiting to be told. But the people that we've hired aren't people who would do their jobs on the basis of being told what to do by somebody striding around an office. You know, they're very well-motivated, on-task people, and, they, and they're, they're being motivated to produce work for the company and for the product that they themselves know, you know, is important. And so, so I suppose you, you have to accept an element of flat management as well as um, 
remote working if if it's if it's going to work yeah. so the 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 flip side of what you can't do and i talked about this in dublin i remember is it's hard therefore to get junior people to work for your company because they do require more management they do you know they do, they yeah. interns do expect to be told what to do so we've only ever done that in the bedford office when myself or keith have had direct sort of influence over that person Great. Okay. Thank you. Um, Peldy, do you want to? Well, it's up? amazing. It's amazing to me how uh, parallel uh, our companies are, Bridget. Um, <laughs> basically, everything that you said is uh, is similar, um, applies to us as well. Um, we, we have the same sort of uh, trust in people, results only or results oriented uh, working environment and uh, we have uh, sort of a flat structure. Uh, but we do have uh, these um, daily and weekly processes that we do, um, not so much to uh, check on people, but to share with each other what we're doing. Um, every uh, day in the morning when you're starting to work, uh, each of us uh, sends a message in a special Slack channel called Daily Agendas where basically you say what you're planning on doing that day. And this is mostly useful for yourself so that you can, uh, <clears throat> you know what you're gonna work on today. Um, but uh, for um, some people do it at the end of the day because their jobs are more reactive and so they don't know what they're gonna work on uh, for the day. Uh, but, at but at least that way, by sharing it, they um, everybody else sees what everybody else is working on uh, for a day. It's kind of like a stand-up meeting, but we don't have a morning because everybody wakes up at a different time. So you see these messages come in in the Slack channel during the day. And that works really well. Uh, the thing that we do weekly is on Mondays, everybody gets an email that says, what are you working on? And this is more of, um, it's for the week and, uh, we try to tell people, you know, write something for everybody else. Don't write it for yourself. This is not your to-do. We have those too. We have a weekly agenda that each of us keeps, and that's just our own to-do. That only has to make sense to yourself. These, uh, these emails instead are more informal, and we say, you know, write it in English, meaning not, don't be too technical. And, uh, and those are nice. Uh, it gives everybody a sense of... Uh, what everybody's uh, week is going to look like. It's interesting. I, I'm just thinking of the talk that Jason Fried did last year at Boston as well, where um, somebody actually asked him, because they were saying they don't have any meetings, don't use email, uh, some, some really quite interesting things. And somebody asked about the problem that you have with some people not being very good at writing stuff down. Uh, mm. and his his answer was we can't employ them. Mm. Uh, it's, just, it's it's part of the selection criteria for people that they have to be able to uh, to operate that way. Can I say also, Mark? Just um, Peldy's reminding me about the things that we we also that, that he's right. We do have very similar. It must be that in order to be a certain way, you everybody reaches the same conclusion. So, for example, the engineer the engineers will all. Uh, report first thing um, every morning on HipChat what they did the day before. So they don't do a they do a, a, a previous as opposed to an, an advance report. Um, but the for the other people that are not doing something else which is quite explicit like customer support, um, we we also default to um, transparency. So for example, we don't have um, private channels on HipChat. So when you're discussing something with colleagues, we, we will occasionally do one-to-one -one colleagues if, 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 if we don't want to spam other people. But generally speaking, when we're trying to solve problems with colleagues and we're communicating with them over chat, we do it over open track channels. We also document everything on Confluence and um, and through Jira conversations and, and uh, other methods in a, in, a, in a way where if anybody's interested in what each other is doing, they should logically, they should be able to go into that person's um, online space and find out. So even if it's not obvious that, you know, one of my colleagues has been working on, you know, important logistics about something, it suddenly all becomes there and it's documented. And then, as you said before, this, this idea of getting people to communicate 
openly about that. That is something that we do look for because we're not, I mean, we can understand some people are very extrovert, some people are quite introvert, but everybody who works in our company understands the need to explain and discuss what they're doing with other people. And, and, and you just have to avoid witter, you have to avoid um, uh, unnecessary bureaucracy. We have one meeting a week. So we have a, an all hands meeting, if you like, 2.30 on a, on a Tuesday uh, GM, two o'clock, sorry, I should say, uh, um, GMT. So it's a sort of a, a nine o'clock in the morning East Coast meeting. Yeah. Um, and that's the time, and we try to keep it to 20 minutes, you know, and that's the only time when all of us are on the screen together, um, because the rest of the time we'd be expecting not just a whole series of bilateral conversations, but generally fairly open bilateral conversations. So if, if, if you could see on a support channel that two engineers are about to have a conversation about something and the UI person wants to jump in, they can just join join the chat. So it's like walking into the room when somebody else is having a meeting. So we've deformalized it, but it does require everybody to be, you know, we're not political. Sometimes the political behavior you get inside large organizations where people like private channels so that they can get on, get on at the expense of other people in the company. We're a very yeah. small company, but there's only 11 of us. So, you know, but I'm, I'm, Absolutely convinced you, you 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 absolutely bullet bulletproof your culture at this stage to stop it from going down the route that would encourage those behaviours. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so could you both give me your top five tools for? I don't know. You've mentioned you've mentioned a few, but if there are going to be five things that people who are thinking about remote working go off and and, and look into using, what would they be? Well, Zoom for us yep. has been the number one video conferencing channel because we, we've tried them all. So we've tried Google Hangout, we've tried Skype, um, and we love Zoom. And we've, you know, we're fully paid up members of Zoom. Yep. I, I wouldn't say whether we've tried Slack, we use HipChat. I wouldn't say there's plenty that they're good, but I would say something. What would you say, Pal? Do you use Slack? Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we recently switched to Slack um, from HipChat. We uh, we did a serious trial of Basecamp and uh, Google Workplaces, but then in the end, we chose Slack for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, that's our office, really. Uh, you know, mm. you need to have uh, a communication tool with different rooms or channels, whatever you want to call them. And then uh, we use Confluence, Atlassian Confluence, as our wiki and as our handbook. Uh, those are critical. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Of course, Dropbox and uh, Google Hangouts and, uh, and Zoom, we use those as well. Um, I actually built a little tool for ourselves uh, in my ample spare time uh, last year, <laughs> which we've started using now which basically gives people visibility onto all the different projects that we have going on. It's basically a list of past, current, and future projects and who is working on each project. That um, sounds good. Um, you know what's going to you know happen here? This will be Peldi's next breakout thing. But, and he'll be telling these stories at conferences in 10 years' time. Oh, we were doing this thing. We didn't have quite the right project management tool. I've heard this story before. You know. I don't know. It seems like every company before or after builds their own project management tool. Um, we have, we've had several. Yeah, <laughs> so never say never, but I'm happy with uh, solving this, the, the current the wireframing yeah. problem for now. But okay, anyway, so, so I just want to... Yeah, the, the usual, basically. And... Um, but I would say that, you know, tools are useful, but, you know, I see my, my own goal is to um, provide clarity to everyone, meaning make it possible, make it easy for everyone to figure out what, their work, what they should be working on, what everybody else is working on, so that they know how, uh, you know, everybody's workload so that they know if they're bugging them in the middle of something or, or if yeah. they maybe have some bandwidth to join them in a different project, right? Uh, I think that that kind of falls on the CEO's job to uh, provide those tools so that that clarity can be achieved. Can I also add, Mark, it's not just the tools that you use, it's the tools that you don't use. So for example, email 
is yeah, a it's like it's like a communication spur and so if you fight if you if if you're working in a company or you work with people where they routinely bcc people into email that is <laughs> that is a communication <laughs> smell it's a communication BC smell just, bc just stands for backside covering <laughs> all right but also the, the whole kind of reply all culture as well is 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 just awful given the fact that there are so many so we use customers you know if you've got customers use um wanting to contact you all the time then you've got to use some form of support tool and we've used several we've, we've we're, we're now on our fourth tool that, that um that we're trying out and they all have strengths and weaknesses but of course the advantage is that you can then share information and discussions about that customer or about the problem that you're trying to solve directly on that person's profile that can be linked through into um you know maybe a jira ticket or something else so you can follow yeah. through on problems and you can solve problems quite quickly by because everything is transparent if you try to solve problems by emailing everybody then you know you are you are creating miniature spurs all over the the, the, the place and it's and people just use and i i use email externally but internally we hardly ever use email same here yeah interesting okay thank you um now anybody that's watching uh, there are a whole load of questions that people are submitting um, below the screen so if you scroll down a little bit um, you'll see some questions and there are some really good ones so to help us prioritize these do feel free to vote on um the ones that you'd like to get answered get answered first i think so we've answered the Daily, uh, daily, weekly processes, and we've looked at uh, tools. Um, this is a good one. How do you foster team building remotely? So, okay, well, I, 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 I let's just put a little bit of context on that. I mean, there, there is this. Some people say, "Oh, I'd hate to work from home, and I'm going to be lonely, or, or whatever," and I miss that. Um, the daily interaction with my colleagues and the chats around the coffee machine and there's a, there's a bunch of those things that um, people will obviously miss if they're um, remote um, so how do you how do you kind of foster that culture of well I'd say you get the best of both worlds because I think if you want to if you're suddenly feeling a bit down and you need some you know you need to chat with people you can go on to the I'm sure slack I'm sure Balsamic have got it as well. You always have a channel, which is the team silly channel for happy birthday, or whatever. And um, you can get on there and you can post up a GIF or tease somebody or put on a YouTube video and people will start talking about 1980s pop songs. And the whole thing can go off completely off topic. And, um, and you can just relax and, um, you know, connect with your teammates. So, that happens spontaneously it's not we're not trying to say that you have to have some kind of informal moment every three hours you know it's just it, it happens when it happens equally if you just want to get your head down and get some work done you don't have to look at that channel or you could switch your chat off and then you can just get some work done and so people in our company will do both and that's very different to having somebody jump into your office to entertain you every two minutes and you can't turn them off the other thing we do is we do do regular meetups so once twice a year we will have whole company meetups and that and we'll do that for a week and we'll, we'll get a lot of work done but we will also you know we will actively um encourage social meetups and um you know hand out t-shirts to everybody and make everybody feel like they they they, they belong to the same company and another thing and i know balsamic do this as well and i think this is an open question but again it's an extension of how you want to run your company we deliberately set up and employ people in our company even though they're built remotely so i we don't the people who work for you can put me are not contractors they are they're employees of you can put me inc in america you can book me in UK, in the uk and then by extension the employee as as an employer in the rest of europe we employ the people who work for us so they all have you can book me on their pay slips and for me that's very important about encouraging and fostering that sense of this is the company that you work for even if we're all spread out around the world that there must be quite a cost to that and there must actually have been quite complicated process to go through to set that up yes it was 
Where, <laughs> where did you find the advice, the information? And that just sounds like one of those things that everyone's going to, accountants will say they'll do that for um, it depends on which country. half the revenue of the company or something. Yeah. It depends which country it is in. So we're employed, we're set up to employ people in Spain and that took months and um, we just got very good accountants. Um, but everything has to be translated into Spanish. You need to have a Spanish contract and an English contract. Everything needs to be signed on every page. Things need to be um, the Apostle Hague type legal um, uh, validation needs to happen. And it took a long time. Um, in Ireland, it took about half a day to set up as an employer. <laughs> in fact, actually, we could employ them and get the pay slips sorted before we'd even been registered. So it partly depends on the country itself. Um, we're setting up, you know, in we would set up in any other country in Europe based um, on who we wanted to employ. And so I think it, it, Spain is probably quite an extreme one end of the, of the spectrum. In America... Um, it's, it is complicated because you, as well as having to have a corporate entity in the US, you also need to be set up as employers in the states that you hire. And then there's ongoing problems with that because um, if you're a small company, how you handle things like health insurance, because you can't get group plans for individual people living in individual states, um, not least the other problems associated with the health insurance market at the moment. So um, it, it is complicated, but, but I, I honestly believe it's worth it for the the relationship that we have with everybody and the way they feel about working for us and again it changes that potential uh, distinctions between you can book me in Bedford being you know the mothership somehow um, and then we've got sort of peripatetic con contractors around the world rather you can book me as a company is spread around the world and we happen to work for it in this country but other people work for the same company in other parts of the world even if we're quite small it's working Great. Okay. Thank you. Peldy? Once again, everything that Bridget says applies to us. <laughs> so I'll just uh, very quickly um, give uh, a couple of uh, possible ideas uh, to foster team building. Uh, things that we do, uh, we have a monthly media club, which is like a movie club or TV shows where we say, all right, everybody watch Stranger Things. We'll discuss it next month. Oh, Everybody goodness. watch this movie. We'll discuss it in class. And we have a half hour, maybe even 20 minutes, where we just get together and just talk about it and laugh. And, and that's, a, that's a great, simple thing to implement. Another thing that we uh, do, we started doing it after uh, the Business Software Conference in Boston because uh, we heard about this idea from Michael Pryor. Uh, and so we stole it immediately. And it's, it's what we call the what we call Friday fun times meetings. Basically, we schedule five uh, employees at random in a Google Hangout for half an hour every Friday with no agenda. And the, the group changes every week. And that's just a way for people to hang out with people that they might not normally work with. And that's really fun. Uh, the other thing that we started doing... What, what sort of things do you talk about there? Are those work-related things or are those hobby-related or is there any kind of... Whatever, it's just like hanging out. Uh, it, cool. Usually there's so a lot always, of laughing involved. <laughs> right, so, um, so it's generally it's generally not work. No, no, usually not work, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we adopted uh, a few months ago is uh, Claire Liu's uh, Know Your Company tool. Uh, she's mm -hmm. also a boss speaker. Uh, and that's really fun because every Friday it asks uh, everybody a question that is, uh, it changes every week, but it's always about, do you have a favorite recipe to share? What's your favorite movie and how many times have you watched it? Uh, have you had your 15 minutes of fame yet? You know, these kind of questions that yeah. uh, help each other get to know um, their employee, their, their colleagues uh, on, on a personal level. Then in the wiki, we have uh, family pages. Each of us has their own family page with photos and, and, uh, and you know, they talk about their hobbies and their pets and whatever. Uh, so that's good. We also have a get together budget for each employee. So if you live remote, more remote than others, you have uh, some money to spend to go and fly and get together with some employees. Um, if instead you work in Bologna where there's more of us, you still have money, but less uh, to organize a uh, 
lunch at the office for everybody. Um, so all these things together uh, help with uh, team building. We, of course, the most important part is the yearly uh, retreat that we do uh, with everybody where we try to do one in Europe, one in the US, uh, alternating. Um, and, um, and we do not do any work at the retreat. We started doing work at the retreats, but we no longer do that. The retreats are purely uh, a way to recharge our emotional batteries um, so that we can all go back home and, and feel like we're part of a team. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, do you you have a you don't have unlimited vacation, do you, Peldy? You have you have to have a minimum vacation. Is that? Yeah, we case? started with unlimited, but then uh, our American uh, employees they they don't know how to deal with that. Uh, <laughs> unlimited means no vacation, um, and so now we say you're expected to take at least twenty days. That's a great way of uh, doing it. How, how about your vacation policy, Bridget? What's the? Well, I, I recognise I recognise that because we um, originally started off with sort of very generous European holidays. So we had twenty eight days annual leave plus bank holidays. So you'd be looking in the UK of being off for thirty six days. And when we told the US employees that, it sort of rocked their world. And they couldn't, they couldn't, they, so, and they, we also found that that was right at the top end of what's actually practical to take off as holiday during the year anyway. And I, and I also feel like it's, I kind of rile against anything which feels bureaucratic and HRE for no good reason. But then I realized that there's a big difference between employment legislation and employment protection in, in Europe where there are minimums for good reason and then employees are protected as a result and then employers have to kind of implement it and then in the, in, a, in america where you're just introducing the concept of it's really good to take a holiday occasionally in the first place <laughs> and so you have to find you know find the balance between those two um ideas and so now what we've said is so so the problem with saying you've got 30 days is that then you're creating incentive for people to have, feel like they have to take those days. And then if they don't take the days, then they feel like they've lost something. So what we've done is very similar where we said, look, we, we're expecting everybody to take tw 20 days is the European minimum anyway. So you have to, people have to take 20 days in Europe or as employers, you have to ensure somebody has taken at least 20 days. In Spain, it's slightly more because they have more bank holidays. So you've got lots of bank holidays, you've got your minimum. We, we're expecting everybody to do it. But what we're trying to stop people from doing is counting days up and then kind of reporting back and then trying to carry days over and then doing whatever and like having this whole conversation about holidays very boring so what we've said is it is unlimited in the sense that we're going to stop counting everybody just needs to take a decent amount of holiday every year we're going to make sure that you're doing at least the minimum but it could be that in the first year you're super ambitious and want to work hard and super enthusiastic and you really want to get in and you end up only with 20 days but the following year you know you have a bike accident and you're kind of off for a while and then actually things go wrong and you kind of need a bit more holiday or recuperation and then you go you know and you go away for a couple of weeks and then you've taken 35 days but really it shouldn't it should it goes back to the kind of people we want to employ and we want i want them to feel about taking holiday from the company the way that i feel about taking holiday so i'm certainly not shy of taking holiday in you can book me um but i'm not counting up in my head i'm just like oh i need to take a week's holiday at easter i'm going to take two weeks holiday at summer and that's that's generally how people like to behave when they're freelancers and so that's how we're trying to encourage um the behavior in the people in you can book me great okay thank you i for some reason have lost Pe I, I kind of nuked peldy by mistake so ah oh, here he is i'll bring him back hi hey um so uh, just move on to move on to uh, something adjacent to that how do you work out how to pay people in different in different different locations what what what's the formula that you have for that should i start mm -hmm. yeah please okay. do because i'm now yeah, sure. uh so the um our policy is uh, simple and uh, it has served us well over the years it's one of the ones that we haven't changed in a few years and the policy says that you are paid a little bit a little better than the same job in your same geographical area. 
Um, and uh, yes, that's our policy and it, it works well. I can go into detail, but there's a lot more questions. I don't want to take too much time. Okay, uh, Bridget. Uh, so we've, we we aspire to that kind of um, policy. I mean, we, we've read about, uh, Peldi has a, it's all written out on the on a blog page, how it works. And we also like the buffer um, uh, formula that they've got on a spreadsheet somewhere. And so there's lots of ideas about that. And we don't, we haven't implemented any of it because essentially we have two people in the US that get paid the same. We have two people in Spain that get paid the same. Um, we have what we have tried to do is that within the company everybody knows what each other what everybody is paid including me and Keith so our the transparency around our salaries is 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 there within the company um until we hire any more anybody else in any other countries for totally different roles we haven't actually needed to be any sort of more specific than that but i think that the the relative the, the point about salaries being relative is really important. So, because it isn't just what the person's net take home pay is, it is also what the cost of the employer is. So going back to, you know, the cost of employing people in the US um, isn't as much as the cost of employing somebody in Spain or the cost of employing somebody in the UK. And, it, and so actually the overall package for the employer is, is, um, can be very different in each in each country. And that partly comes down to the standard of living, the cost of living, and the expectations of the people in those countries. And I, and I think that you have to find a minimum so that certainly you're not sitting there going, right, we're gonna, we're gonna employ everybody in Ukraine because it's probably gonna be super cheap to get everybody there for you know, five pounds an hour and congratulate ourselves on cutting costs because that, that's, that's not going to be a cost saving in the end. I think that you do need to, if you can, pay generously and, and pay should never be the reason why somebody's either left your company or um, why you think your company is profitable. Pay should be about a fair contract between you as the employer and the person in the country. And as long as they're happy and they feel like they're getting a fair deal, I've never had anybody worry inside you can book me that they think that we are, we are trying to exploit the margin for our own corporate gain. It, sh it shouldn't be about that kind of conversation. And I think that again, we are trying to insulate ourselves as we get bigger from what can be very, very obvious exploitation when companies don't reveal salaries amongst senior staff. And then what you get is all sorts of not very good behaviors or motivations from those people because they don't know what each other earns. And it's just, and I, I hate that. I just would rather everybody knew what everybody, what, what, what the company can afford, what we can pay, what's going on. And then you can move on with, with actually much more interesting questions. Great. Okay, so moving on to another much more interesting question. Um, this one seems to be quite popular in a number of different ways, um, and it's quite open. What things have you found that works, and what, in capital letters, does not work with remote working? This is a tough one. I'm, I have a back channel with the team here. I'm asking, like, any ideas for this one? And, uh, <laughs> And uh, no one can. Um, no one interns, Peldi, how, how do you deal with interns, with junior we staff? We deal with the same way that you do, which is we've only done it in Bologna, where we have an office and where they can get the uh, attention that they, that they need. We haven't even tried to have interns um, in other locations. But actually, that made me think of something that did not work which is that we tried uh, twice to have a developer in California. All of our developers are in the Central European time zone. Um, and we would like to have a developer in California. The first time we wanted one uh, because uh, we wanted someone to be able to uh, restart the servers should the web app go down. So it was more of, a, of an ops uh, role. And then more recently, uh, we want to develop in California because a lot of our partners are there. So this was for plugins. And so it might have been good. And also because we really, really like this person uh, as a developer and we want to work with them. Um, but uh, neither times it worked out. Um, we were not able to make it work um, 
And, uh, you know, one time you can blame them, but two times is probably my fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Somehow it, there's too strong of a balance uh, here uh, in Europe when it comes to the development kind of work. Okay. Can I offer an idea, and I can't yes. prove it, but this would be my guess, which is um, going back to sort of team building and um, you know what, what you have to do, if you like, to compensate for the fact that you're remote, is that when we hire, we, we will always have face-to-face -face meetings with people before we finally hired them in terms of confirming a long-term contract with them. And that might mean, like Peldi was saying, you get people in the different locations to fly over and meet each other, or we will do some sort of form face to face. So we basically hire very, very carefully because and I think there's a few other questions in the thread asking about this. We are hiring people who want to work remotely and want to engage on that level of communication and openness and transparency. We're not looking for people who think that it's an easy way to work from home so that they can keep their side projects going whilst they sort of work for us part time. We're looking for people who want to do a full time professional job but happen to do it from a co-working space or from their own home. So because of that, we have lots of conversations with them and we're basically specking them out to make sure that they're right. So I would my guess would be that working remotely is a is a luxury when you're happy to grow slowly if if let's say some vc people came along and said right you can book me here's a million quid now you need to hire you know 30 people to grow the team by 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 the summer it would be very hard to do that level of hiring with that level of intensity when you're trying to find the people that you think are going to really fit into your remote working culture. And I don't know, I can't test that because I haven't, obviously that's not the way we're doing it, but I would imagine that, that what will not work re working remotely is a sort of an explosion of growth where you suddenly have to hire really, really quickly. Yeah, WordPress didn't do, Automatic hasn't done too badly, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good um, question. It actually, so that, answer leads us on to another question from our very own Dave Collins, look at this, um, who's just moved house and uh, the last time I spoke to him um, about a week ago he was suffering from lack of internet so uh, he's clearly either got himself to Starbucks or bash BT on the head. Um, so this one's for you Dave Collins, uh, how important is it that someone has experience working from home and or remotely? Are there things to watch out for in terms of personality? and also how to interview. Would you interview yes. people face to face? I mean, and I know you talk, talked about this in um, Europe, so maybe you should yeah. kick off. So, so, the, so the answer is yes, it is. Um, unless there's a very special case for hiring somebody who hasn't done it, we actually will ask for an, an explicitly test against people's knowledge and understanding of what it means to work remotely. Um, and that's that goes back to my earlier point. Some people think that it's actually working from home is a bit like having a sort of a, a you know, a part-time job. Being on vacation. Well, one person actually said that they wanted to work for us so that, that so that she could get on with her job on Fridays, which is make which is being a potter. So and she actually determined that the, the Friday off would be so that she could do her actual job. And so you think, no, 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 this is not, this is about um uh, a, you know, a way of wanting to live and be as opposed to a sort of a, a convenience. Yeah. So we definitely, we definitely expect it. And, um, and, it, and it goes again to all of the things we've just talked about earlier about being able to communicate, being transparent and sharing. Um, so the personality types then have to fit into that. And I think that the things to look out for, uh, for people who are not going to suit um, um, working remotely are sometimes people who just like to be told what to do people who just like to fit into a system and you know they like the social interaction sitting at their desk and they want you know they want to be managed so it'll be people like that who are not going to suit uh being left alone and there's another question in the threads about time zones you know time zones have to have to follow um where people are so sometimes we adjust for time zones so sometimes we have people come in early and sometimes we have people work late but generally speaking there's a lot lots of the time people are working on their own uh, and everybody else is asleep um and then you're you're also looking for people who don't as i said seek out those kind of private channels 
to get work done at the expense of other people, which is a, which is not a very nice set of behaviours, regardless of how you work. Mm. But it's particularly toxic for remote working because you can't see what's happening if you like behind people's backs with, with remote working. So I think that you have to. You, you, we have to really trust that the people we're working with are doing their jobs, are contributing and are being fair. With your interview processes and your remote working interviewing, um, do you, presumably there's always going to be some point in the process where you meet someone face to face or have you hired someone completely at arm's length? Peldi? Sorry, I, that was, uh, well, Peldi's had more people than me. I heard that you do that. Uh, I don't do that. Um, in fact, I went to Chicago uh, in the fall because I wanted to meet uh, two new employees that I had never met before, but they had been working for us since July. So, no, I um, we hire, we, we have a tradition that we high five the candidate uh, and take a screenshot of the high five, and that is our. You know, from now on, you work here. Uh, the, yeah, all right, all right, back to work then. Yeah. So, um, uh, no, we hire uh, we hire based on uh, online conversations, uh, not in person. In fact, it's always funny at the retreat where we're like, "Dude, did you see how tall Florian is?" We had no idea. <laughs> we only see this. Um, so, so given your given your hiring hiring um, on space sort of remotely. Um, is your is your employee um, height above or below average from what you <laughs> what you thought they would be? I don't know. It's, uh, I think um, above, yeah. higher than I thought. Both uh, Drew and Florian surprised me on how tall they were. But um, look, going back to the question, we do uh, ask if they have um, remote working experience, um, and we look at that. And uh, just like Bridget, we when someone smells like they only want to work for us because it's remote, that's a very, very bad sign. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's a very good um, answer. Now, Bridget, you you've got a slightly different process. You... So, so we do. We will. We will make job offers over the internet, if you like. And actually. Um, the the process that I described in Dublin uh, in business and software in Dublin was that we are getting better and better at not hiring people so um, so so we understand a lot more about the people that are not going to work and therefore exclude them and therefore the people that we end up making job we've been much more successful in the last year or so of hiring people that we know absolutely are going to work so we spent a lot of time on on those people making sure that they're it's not going to be a mistake but the people that we've hired um everybody that we have hired remotely um within three months we have either flown ourselves out to meet them or um, they've come to bedford to spend a week with us in the office um and we have done some form of validation on face to face and that's not necessarily me or you know some senior colleagues that's been co-workers as well so we have done kind of a co-worker sign off and we have looked at um any issues that have come up as a result and to be honest what tends to happen is that once we've had the face-to-face -face, it usually has confirmed um concerns that we might have had previously that about their suitability and whether it's going to really work out and so as a result the face-to-face -face is, is for us to sit there and go no actually it's probably not going to work out so we have had unfortunately um a couple of times when i had to turn around after a face-to-face -face and said it's not going to work out um and that's sort of within a probationary period um but i think that's fairer than i mean i don't know how peldi is obviously you don't want to talk about any specifics or anybody particular personally but my 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 guess is is that the quicker you have a face-to-face -face with somebody the quicker you can tell if you've got any concerns about whether they're right for the job um rather than having things string out for longer if they if you haven't ever met them hmm. oh, did you want to no that's definitely that? true that's definitely true um when you meet someone face to face, you, you pick up on uh, things that you don't online. Um, 
at the same time, uh, I do like the idea of having that separation because you get to judge people more for their work and less if your chemistry, which is chemistry, you know, it is <laughs> exchange of, uh, uh, you know, um, if it works or not. So yeah, there, it, it, there's pros and cons. Okay, uh, we're going to take another question here um, from Mark Lee. Do you treat everyone as virtual and some just happen to be in the same office or treat remote differently? And I remember Joel Gascoigne from Buffer talking about this and saying that they have a small office that a few people can kind of drop into in San Francisco, but they don't have free snacks or fancy tea or whatever it is in the office because they don't want to put anyone at a advantage or disadvantage um, by working remotely. Do you, do you have any rules, any? Ahead, oh, well, I mean, we, we, as I said before, we have, a, we have a, an office here in Bedford. It's mm -hmm. actually quite big. I'm in the small meeting room and then there's a room next door. Um, and for a time, we sometimes had five people in there. It was quite, quite friendly. Um, but our company has grown and we've got many more people now working for the company than live in Bedford. We do work essentially in a location neutral way. Um, so if people have come to Bedford and we've kind of caught up on certain projects with with people face to face, we'll try and report back and create materials or online versions of whatever we've discussed so people can see what's going on. So we try to report back to each other when we've had when we've had, you know, face-to-face -face meetings offline but one thing which um uh you know i don't know if, if, if peldy recognized this but i remember at the very beginning when we used to have zoom meetings whoever was in the office we would all crowd around one lap one computer uh, so there might be five of us all looking into the camera and then the people who were remote would have their little boxes and now even when I'm sitting alongside somebody, I will have my own laptop and my own camera, and then Keith will have his own and so on. So we basically have our own boxes, if, is, is the way I'd put it. So that even when you're, have, when you're having a Zoom meeting, even if four of you are in the same office, to the person in Spain or whoever, will see just that they are part of the same meeting with the same equality. And, I, and over the years as we've grown, and I've grown in experience, I'm becoming more and more committed to it you know I've sort of I started off probably more accidentally as I said more naturally to do with the growth of the company but now I'm much more like determined this is actually the company we're definitely growing and it's definitely going to be like this and I'm I'm half thinking of giving up the office altogether because it because it accidentally encourages this notion that this is where something more important is happening than anywhere else um, and so we've had people come to Bedford for the last couple of years as a kind of a summit type um, retreat where we have, I have to say, made them work for the whole the whole week. Um, but it, so it wasn't as fun as a balsamic <laughs> summit. We were, there was there was no. Are you, you honouring building? <laughs> well, I actually I lied earlier because it's not true that we don't do any work. The support <laughs> the support yes work every day for at least exactly. a couple hours. So uh, they no, awesome. there was a there was a quest. There was a question about that that uh, I was going to bring up um, yeah. later on, but uh, that's good. That's good clarification. Um, okay, right. I can't believe I'm being told we've got to wrap up. We don't have to wrap up, but that is an hour, and um, it's gone. It's absolutely flown by. Here's a here's here's one to leave you with, and this is, I suppose, not just about um, your company. It's about you personally. Um, and it's from Alex Marshall. I do like this. How do you know when to call it a day? Personally. Do you find work-life, home-life balance is, is, is affected by working from home because you're always at home and so you always think you could be working? Listen, well, you I'm just already one... you started working from home. You started being yeah. at home more I'm often. already an hour past my six o'clock cutoff time, so I better go. <laughs> my dinner is waiting. Yeah, no, uh, when it's six o'clock, I say, see ya. And then I close the laptop and I go to the next room and I open my phone and I look at the news. Um, and then, of course, I'm always 
check in a little bit, uh, but it's okay. I think it comes it, it comes with the territory. I think that I I mean I wouldn't be saying this if I was an employee of a of another person's organization or company. But I think that when you have founded your own company, it's your baby, it's a little bit like asking parents when do they get time to switch off from their children, yeah. you know? And you don't. The, the answer is you don't. They are University. your kids. University. Well, <laughs> <laughs> then, then you miss them. So I mean, and actually, I think kids is probably quite a good excuse to stop because they have a, an equally strong pull. So, um, the, the, I, I, I think it's a very open question, and this is this is certainly a personal um, situation about me and Keith. Is that we're co-founders, but we're also a married couple and we're also parents so I think that it's it's probably I don't know whether it's unusual but what I've often thought was I can't imagine how it would be for to be a founder and of a startup and running a company when you're married to somebody else who's got no idea about what you're doing or doing something else completely different and I think in some ways I got drawn into running the company because there was no option for me because Keith was so um was so involved and that we, we didn't have anybody else um, to, to run it. And he was, he'd reached max point. Whereas I could change my career and start running the company and get as absorbed in it as he was. And then we, and then by that, we sort of broke the back of the problem because then we can share it. So when I'm, when I'm, so when we, when we go on holiday, our definition of going on holiday is that we only take one laptop. So only one of us can be working you know, at any at any given point. Okay. So, whereas if we've both got laptops, then one of us is ignoring the children. So then that's not acceptable. So I think you just have to find, you have to find kind of definitions and boundaries and say, right, this is how it's going to be. But that's not to say that we overwork. So we don't, we don't run a culture or believe that we have to kind of blister through the, the, the week at 80, you know, hours a week work. We don't. We, we clock off, you know, we watch 56 minutes of television every evening. It's like, it's great times. <laughs> 56 minutes a night. Wow. Whatever um, BBC iPlayer is showing. Yes. Fantastic. So uh, you, you used to use um, How It's Made, didn't you, Peldy, as your kind of unwinding tool at the end of the day. Still I remember from one of your still, still do. I was going to say is that I, I thought maybe there was a, um, a, a follow-up series, one that Joe and I, my wife, have been uh, enjoying recently is called Destroyed in Seconds, which is just similar to, to how it's made, but uh, everything ends up broken. Um, so you should check that one out. Um, thank you so much for um, taking part. It's always great to see you both and uh what a what a fabulous um set of questions I, i'm sure we haven't answered everything else um one thing i'm going to be very excited about announcing right now is that man with the red hair in the middle uh of the screen there is going to be talking at business of software europe this year in london which is very, very good. So um, we're, we're excited about that. Can I just I'll leave you with a question? Is there, is there a thing around remote working that you're not necessarily struggling with, but thinking about? Because I'd love to do another one of these later in the year and maybe bring some other people in to get um, some different perspectives. Is there, is, there, is there one piece of the remote working puzzle that you haven't cracked yet? We've both been doing this for 10 years. I mean, the, the company changes changes all the time <laughs> because it gets bigger. So in a way, the answer is there's always pieces of the puzzle that we haven't cracked, but that's kind of the fun of it. You know, you're, you yeah. solve that challenge and then three months later, there's a new one. That's, that's kind of what keeps me going. Um, yeah, I, I think that this is... The only thing that I think that technology and software is has got this great opportunity for is to offer opportunities for young people to, to work for us. And I think it's I've, sort of, I've mentioned it before, but I think that's the one thing that I think we're not going to be able to do is to use um, the resources of the company to help encourage and train up 
young engineers, you know, that we could get out of school. I mean, we could, but it would pull us in a different direction. And I think that's something that I'm waiting for. I, I strongly believe that kind of thing that Pelvi does, that, you know, we as a new company have been inspired by. So when we started this, we started to look for um, other companies that did similar things to validate what we felt like, right. So Balsamic, you know, and Buffer and, and then all of the bootstrap companies like, you know, MailChimp and, um, and Basecamp, you start looking at these companies and you hear and you really hear what they're saying and you think that sounds good intuitively that sounds right and then when you start advocating for it um you will realize that, that more and more and more and more people will come your way i think because it just feels like the right way to run a company and as that happens then the problems that we face right now is only because we're still a very small group of companies doing it but the more and more um you know companies do it the more our problems just become shared and expected and then hopefully solved yeah have you come across groove hq well i've seen the blog i follow right the blog. i was going to say that um alex is a he's a fan fantastic blogger and very regular yeah. and i think uh, uh yes and i think wildbit is uh is another one that um, they've got about 30 people or something by the looks of them yeah yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, that's great. Um, Bridget, Peldy, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.